0: So many things have ruined my childhood So I go on like to bitch and cry It feels like all of Hollywood is up against me They even made Optimus fly New versions of what I grew up with Are being remade, rebooted and retried My adolescence is under attack now I think that a part of me has died Aliens, uh uh-huh, uh uh-huh. Predators, uh-uh, uh-huh. Marvel, uh-huh, DC, uh uh-huh. Maybe it doesn't all quite say. Okay, well, except maybe for that jar jar banks. Could it be I've misunderstood this podcast ruined my childhood.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to this podcast ruined my childhood. I'm Phil Durasmo, and with me is Eric Walensky.
2: Hey Phil. Uh are we starting the podcast right now? Yes, we are. Oh. Well, I'll be right back.
0: Hello. Hello. Yes? Who is this? Mm, Who are you trying to reach? What number is this? What number are you trying to reach? I don't know. Well, I think you have the wrong number. Do I? It happens. Take it easy. Uh, hello? Why don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters?
1: That's right, everybody. This week, we're talking about The Scream Quadrology. We're getting right into spooky season at the beginning of October, and we're going to be bringing you a few horror movies for all of our spooky friends out there that love horror just like I do. And we're we're going to touch on the quadrology that brought horror movies back to the forefront of modern cinema. We had a great run in the 70s of 80s of horror that that, that these movies that became uh, larger than life with characters and villains that were larger than life, they all kind of went away in the mid to late 80s with bad sequels and bad remakes. And one movie came and brought a reinvigoration to the horror franchise, and that was Scream. So Eric, what are your memories of seeing Scream for the first time?
2: Uh, scream was actually the first scream was a video rental or a dvd rental i don't remember for me i did not see it in its original theatrical release um i'm not much of a horror buff really um you mentioned uh the iconic characters of the 70s and 80s i've seen like the first friday the 13th i saw the first nightmare on elm street but uh yeah, I'll be honest. Freddie, Freddie Krueger freaks me out. So, <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I watched like parts of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 like with uh, you know my hand in front of my face with the you know <laughs> the the scissor eyes, where I could just close the blinds real quick, and uh, and I watched parts of uh, three that way. Um, yeah. I just, uh, as a child, uh, scary movies, just m- my imagination was so overactive that I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't watch a horror film and not have that sit with me for <laughs> forever. But, uh, but Scream, of course, being a different sort of film, not with a, a monster, um, you know, ghost faced of course, but no real, like a uh, supernatural kind of creepy creature like that. And, uh, being almost, uh, not even being almost being a, a fresh take, you know, on the, on the horror genre, even, you know, going into meta territory and calling it all out. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed scream. Didn't really get me inspired to watch any more horror really, but, uh, but I do like the, the, the kind of campy fun of the scream quadrology.
1: Yeah. I, I love it. It's the same for me. It was a rental. I was 14 when this came out. So I was just getting into horror movies. Uh, So this was like a fresh new horror movie that I had seen um, because yeah, I had seen other horror movies as rentals um, on the small screen at friends houses because I I wasn't necessarily allowed to watch them, but at friends sleepovers, as I always say, I, I catch, I would catch these movies and Friday the 13th was one of the first that I'd ever seen. The original Halloween, I think was the first horror movie I ever saw and Friday the 13th and I just fell in love with those characters and those villains and yeah, they were unsettling to me But something about watching a horror movie made me like that feeling of being unsettled And so when a new fresh take for an audience around my age came out I I couldn't get enough of it and I was so happy Um, So I said I was 14. I was actually 15. So this came out in 96 I was 15 when it came out. I I don't I, I truly don't think I saw it in the theater because I do think that I was maybe still just a little too young. But I know I saw it on video, and I I know that I saw Scream 2 in the theater for sure. Um, and it, my love of this franchise was born with this film, and and lived on into Scream 2. And a couple of years later, I kind of took a dip with Scream 3, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but then was reinvigorated with the reboot meta style of scream Four, so um yeah it, it was just i loved that they took the horror genre the the villain the evil creature kind of aspect of it and turned it on its head and really made made what what happened in this film as if it were happening in real life where a lot of those other movies you know with our tongue-in-cheek and they're made to just be scary This one took that and took the tongue-in-cheek to another level by being meta. And it was uh, very exciting and very refreshing. And like I said, it reinvigorated the horror franchise. And after Scream, we saw tons of both copycat and original horror movies start being made. Um, One of the most well-known right after Scream was I Know What You Did Last Summer, which is another great, in my opinion, great horror film of the mid-90s.
2: Oh, I saw that one too. I did see that one. See, I'm okay. I'm okay with more of a suspenseful horror film and not just a Freddy Krueger monster type. Though Got that it. that just that just gets me. But yeah, I saw. I know what you did last summer, and I really enjoyed that one.
1: Mm-hmm. So this movie and and all of the movies in the series are directed by one of the masters of horror, which is Wes Craven. And you know, I can't say enough about what Wes Craven has done for horror movies in general. He brought us Nightmare on Elm Street. He brought us The Last House on the Left, which is one of the original horror movies in the early 70s. And he also brought us the remake of Last House on the Left, which is so interesting that he not only wrote and directed the original, but he wrote and directed the the remake, which is cool, Uh, which makes him kind of the perfect person to do a meta version of horror movies because mm-hmm. he is so ingrained in horror that he can look at it from the lens outside of of what he does and and I just think it's so cool that he was able to bring this to all of us before he died you know he, he created this wonderful series and and gave it to the world all four of the scream movies before he passed away in 2015 Eric, what are your memories of the the rest of the series?
2: Like I said, I watched the first one. I really enjoyed it. It was uh, it was fun. I, I liked the the take on the horror film. Scream Two. I did see that one in the theaters, and uh, that one I thought was fun. And I liked then that they were doing the rules now for the you know the second film. Well, you know the kills got to be bigger. This has to happen. That has to happen. And then of course. Um, you know, leading into Scream 3. Scream 3 and Scream 4, I actually did not see until a couple weeks ago when we talked about doing this podcast. <laughs> and see, I thought I had seen 3. And I, and after I watched 3 again, I realized I had only seen parts of it. And I knew roughly the end of it, but I never really watched all of the beginning. I didn't even realize that... Uh, Liv Schreiber was in the beginning of three. I'd Mm -hmm. never seen that part. So what I ended up doing actually, because uh, I've seen Scream 1 and Scream 2 a bunch of times, I started with Scream 4 thinking that was the only one I needed to see. And (laughs) and then I went back and I was like, oh, I'll probably just be able to skim Scream 3. And I'm like, no, I guess I never watched this. And then I was kind of like excited and I'm like, okay, well, I'll watch Scream 2. And then I was like, well, what the heck? So I actually watched all four of these films reverse order a couple weeks ago. Hmm. And it's kind of neat to watch um, Nev Campbell get younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny to watch her and Courtney Cox's bangs mm, go yep, up and okay. down their forehead. <laughs> Ugh, the bangs. <laughs> the haircuts are terrible. So and bad. then i Especially for three and four, I'm like, this is modern. What happened? Right.
1: <laughs> it's like they leaned into the joke, you know, everything being meta. In Scream Two, her hair was so bad, they just kept leaning into it.
2: Yes, yeah. <laughs> so I don't really have memories per se of uh, of this. I mean, unless you count just a couple of weeks ago, but mm-hmm. uh, but no. <laughs> one is hilarious and 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 a really neat, well written film. Um, Scream Two. It lost a little because you are, because you're so meta, the meta just stacks up the further you get into this. And and like I noticed in three, I I found myself thinking like, wait a minute, who's going to show up and do the rules? We don't have Randy. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And then the sister shows up with the videotape of Randy saying, hey guys, you know, if you're watching this, it means I died and it means there's another killer. And, uh, and then he gives us the trilogy rules, which I, I like that, that all bets are off anybody. But of course, as I'm watching in reverse order, I already know who, who doesn't doesn't make it. But, uh, <laughs> that's true. and of course, I know there's a five coming. So that that's what's kind of funny about watching horror films, either in reverse order, or years and years after they happen, and you know, another one's coming, because now, while typically the heroine, you know, tracks through each film um you don't necessarily know about sub characters but it's like oh yeah i know they're all coming back and the tension's kind of off like i'm not really worried that dewey's gonna die because i know he pops back up in four i just watched it (laughs) (laughs) so anyway
1: yeah no that's that's a good point and that's funny that you watched it all in reverse that's that's pretty good i i didn't watch scream one to get ready for this i watched two three four in that order uh, it's just to get a refresh because I've seen Scream so many times. It is one of my favorite horror movies of all time. And um, just to to refresh two, three, four, you know, you, it's funny you bring up the bangs because Courtney Cox's hair is just out of control in, in two with the weird red streaks in it with those awful, awful bangs. I mean, it is, it's the worst it's ever been. I guess that's Gail Weathers defining trait is that she just has <laughs> bad choice in a hairstylist. I, I don't know. It's funny that you say the tensions off because you, You know, who's going to make it and who doesn't. But for me watching the film, I still get those little jumps when things happen to our lead characters. Like when in, in two, when Dewey gets sliced up in the sound room, you know, and you think this is it for Dewey when you were watching the movie in the theater, it's, and you, you just have this feeling of dread that this character that you know survived one. Now it's the second one. He's probably gone. But then he's okay at the end. And now three, <laughs> he's, he's probably gone in three, but it's, I still feel that tension when I rewatch them, even though I know they're going to make it. And that's what I love about what, not just all horror movies, but this franchise in particular does well, which is make you care about the characters. Yes. A lot of horror movies, the the characters are just teenagers that, you know, take them off as they go out, especially Friday the 13th movies. Like, Right. Here's a bunch of camp counselors. Let's just tick off. This one's going to die first. This one's going to die next. But these characters in, in the Scream franchise, I truly don't want any of them to die. Right. And that's what is so good about what Wes, Wes Craven does in this film, is he makes you care. And, and that's what I love about each of these.
2: Even in the first one, which is probably... Mm-hmm obviously the closest to a traditional horror movie with a whole cast of teenagers, which ones are going to get it. I still found myself caring about them, even though I I barely knew them at that point. But as the franchise went on, yes, you're, you're caring now. You're like, Oh, everybody except those two are back. And you know, Oh, who's go. Oh no. Like when Randy died,
1: Randy. Oh oh,
2: man, that was, but it, it, when you talk about jumps, that really got me in the theater. That really, when he yanked him into the van, I was like, oh, no. And then the guys with the boom boxes come by, and oh, yep, they yeah. can't hear the struggle <laughs> or the shrieking. And and I was like, oh, man. And Randy dying was probably the definitive moment for me in in the whole of all these movies, because it's like, no, he was the he was the guru. He knew what was going on and he's yep. gone. Oh yep. no. Who's going to guide us? And that's why even in three, I'm i I'm realizing, I'm like, there's no Randy. Who's going to guide us? And I was like, Oh, that was beautiful. The way they did that.
1: Yep. And it's funny. They, they had him dressed like he was in that in two. Yes. Because he filmed it while that was happening. Yes. You know, it's, it's just so, it was so smart, but you're right. Randy, Randy going, it's the worst thing that happened in any of the films. Because not just that he was the guru, but he was the character that a lot of people like myself identified with. You know, he was the film nerd. He was the, he was the dork that wanted the girl, you know, he was the one that we could identify with in this world. Those of us that were big film buffs, big horror buffs, and kind of the geek that always wanted the girl out of their league, you know, that was, that was me in high school. So seeing randy die into like oh man it's it was heartbreaking absolutely heartbreaking
2: so speaking of jamie kennedy uh briefly jamie kennedy actually was sort of floundering around hollywood wasn't getting anything and he started uh working somewhere in sales realized he was a great salesperson and then came up with the idea to be his own agent and he started calling other agents in Hollywood, talking up his client Jamie Kennedy, which <laughs> ultimately led to him getting an audition for Scream, and he got the role. Wow! That's, Look at him. That's Jamie Kennedy basically invented himself, and then from there he kind of got into the standup, and you know he obviously made the sequel Scream Two, and then uh, Jamie Kennedy experiment and everything else. So, mm-hmm. but I think that's really interesting. Like, when you you wonder, like, how did, you know, how did an actor become an actor? Like, did they just sit through endless cattle calls? Did they get, like, so close on this and so close on that? And just what was their journey? Anyway, that's a little background on Jamie Kennedy.
1: How interesting. How interesting. um You know, uh, jumping to into Scream 2, where he, he gets it, I think it's so great. The whole scene is tense. They're, Dewey and, and Gail are looking around for somebody on the phone, and he is walking around the quad, I don't, he should have just stayed where he was. I don't know why he was walking around, but he goes to the van. And the last thing he says is comparing this killer to Billy Loomis. And it's great how we find out at the end that Billy Loomis's mother is the one that got so angry with what he was saying. She was going to kill him anyway, but that is just an extra, you know, stab to the chest that, Mm -hmm he was talking about Billy and then she's the one that pulled him in the van and just went to town on him. Yeah. What a good surprise that was too, that that woman was Billy Loomis's mom. Like the the killer has to have a motivation, right? In, in some horror movies, it's just a killer for killer's sake. But in this movie, they make a motivation. Billy, um, you know, Sydney's mom is the reason that his parents split up. So his motivation is because Sydney and, and her family broke his home and Stu is just the lackey that comes along because of peer pressure and Stu, you know, Matthew Lillard's character, great, great lines. My mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. It's so, so good. But in scream two, we get the same kind of thing where the mom is Billy Loomis's mom is the villain who has the motivation. And then there's Mick, Mickey who is just the film student and, he is going to blame it all on the movies, and so he has a motivation. But same as Stu, it's just not as fleshed out. And at the end of the movie, we're told by Billy's mom when she tries to kill him, that's stupid. It's there's no reason for that. That should have that should be a motivation.
2: Well, um, so here we go, Phil. You broke the ice on mm-hmm. these movies making sense and having motivation and not just killing for killing's sake, mm-hmm. because having like watched all of these and maybe even reverse order gave me another little insight into them perhaps i don't know but for the most part there is no reason for the mass murdering as you pointed out scream one billy's mad because sydney's mom had an affair with his dad which made his mom leave so he wants to kill random people including the high school principal because of it 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 leaves a little lack of motivation and they even talk about motivation at the very end of scream him and matthew lillard and and Nev campbell are like well why you how about because your mom had an affair with my dad which made my mom leave how's that for motivation and i'm like well that's motivation for killing sydney but it's not really motivation for having killed matthew lillard's girlfriend and the high school principal and Drew Barrymore and her boyfriend. So it's like these guys were just serial killers waiting to pop. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
1: well, they, they were, and that's kind of what they explain, Right. And, and they are going to pin it all on Sydney's dad, who they're going to say just goes crazy and starts killing just for killing's sake. So that's, that's kind of what, why they killed so many people to just make it look like her, her dad has just gone crazy.
2: Sure. And then skipping over two though to get to three, we find out that as Jamie Kennedy pointed out, there's a backstory. Everything right. goes back to the first one, a backstory you didn't know was there. And actually that line kept me engaged in the movie because to that point in Scream Three, I was like, What are we doing here? What's what's mm-hmm. the point? And then when he said that, I'm like, okay because Jamie Kennedy told me the rules I will now allow the rest of this movie to entertain me because to this point I'm just like this is I don't get it. Why are we yeah. trying to draw out Sydney? Who what's what's the deal here? So then you find out that that the the killer in the third one who actually turns out to be Sydney's half brother from another tryst that her mom had mm-hmm. went to the town to, to say hi mom I found you she rejects him so then he's like well you know what I'm gonna do I'm not gonna kill you but I'm gonna get these other guys to kill you because it's a good thing you're having affairs with everybody in town and then we're gonna frame yeah. yet another guy it's like you gotta have a whole like police board you know conspiracy <laughs> theory strings drawn right. to understand why anybody's doing anything that they're doing in mm-hmm. In these movies, and then of course, the motivation the only one I would probably outright without question understand is Billy Loomis's mom wanting revenge on Sydney, right. but why kill all those other people who had nothing else to do with it? I mean, Randy didn't you know until she you know poked him, and the subject of Billy Loomis came out, she didn't have any extra reason to kill Randy because he didn't do anything back in the day. And mm-hmm. you know, why, why bring Mickey into it? Why not just go find Sydney and just corner her and pop her bang, bang, you know, that all the, and I say that only because, and this is when you get into the whole horror genre mm-hmm. to go down such a long road. She could have been caught at any time. Any one little thing could have gone wrong and she gets busted. Right. Or she gets caught or, or anything could have happened. And a, a, a competent police officer could have actually, you know, shot her at any point or caught her. Yeah, yeah. So, so my point is, I understand the revenge. I just clearer than any other motivation. But, but I also don't get that she went to such extreme lengths and and such. Mm-hmm. You know.
1: Yeah, I think the whole reason they killed so many people in Scream Two was to pay. Like it, it they need to cover up that they're the ones doing it. You know, Mikey wanted to be caught, but Mrs. Loomis didn't want to be caught. So she wanted to make sure that her motivation uh, was such that everything else that's happening, she can pin it on other people. And then in in three, I, I guess Roman just doesn't care if he gets caught or not. He's obviously going to, you know, blame it on other people, but... It's his, Scream 3 is where I have the biggest problem because it's just such an outlandish concept. And I, I get the Jamie Kennedy bringing everything back and um, talking about how we're going back to the, the beginning and we're going to learn things about history that we didn't know. But I, I feel like Scream 3 was oddly cobbled together and it never feels like a true, complete ending to this franchise.
2: Um, which, yeah. which
1: is why I guess they opened the door and, and they're now making more of them, but it just didn't sit right with me. And I, you know, aside from Gail's hair, I just have a couple problems with Scream 3 and, and one of being that there's in my mind, no way Roman could be the only killer doing all of these things that he did. I just, I don't see how he was able to get away with everything.
2: Yeah. That, I thought the same thing. Because there's always been two, because one can't be mm-hmm. in one place and one can't be in the other. And then they give you the red herring that he was dead in the coffin. So then you're right. like, oh, he's not even the guy. So it must be the cop. And I mm-hmm. thought they did a good job of of that. Um, because, again, once Jamie Kennedy explained what was happening... Um, I was like, okay, I'll allow it because I was noticing, obviously, like, wow, we're talking about Sydney's mom a lot, and like, it's like, wait a minute, we never knew anything about her. She was just a device to engineer Scream One. Nobody cared about her mom. Her mom had already died, and that was that was just what what was the triggering event. And and now we're learning all this stuff, and now we're getting backstory, and it's sort of when I talked about sequels, you got too plotty and too complicated. But then, when Jamie, in his meta way, brings that point up that is it an overly complicated backstory, something you never knew about a character from the first one, I was like, okay. And that's why I said I settled into it at that point because he flat out said, I get it, guys you're probably confused going, what? Here's why you're (laughs) doing that. You know, so like to to make fun of the fact that sequels do get too complicated and decide they have to go back to the beginning and explain things that never needed explaining Mm -hmm. just to make that third movie make any kind of sense. I was like, okay, you got me now. I appreciate your cleverness. Um, I don't like it, Mm -hmm. but I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and that's the same (laughs) thing too for me. I, I appreciate it. I just don't love it. I still like it. Okay. I'll still watch it, but it's Scream three is the one that I go to the least. I'll watch one and two over and over and over again, one especially. Um, and then I'll throw on Scream four now every once in a while. But three is just like, I i feel like I know it well enough that I don't need to really sit through it. You know,
2: what did you think of Liv? what did you think of Liv Schreiber at the beginning of three? I thought it
1: was great. I thought it, it's great to see that he got what he wanted and then he loses it all, you know, by, by being.
2: I codir-y. agree again, as, um, yeah. as a, as a sub character in one didn't even appear in the film except in. Uh, footage right. footage. Mm-hmm. And then to make him such a central character in two, again, wanting his fame, I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that's really, really good. That's, that's interesting that a, an actor would allow himself to be like, look, I'll just be in this one. Um, because I don't know if you're aware, I'm sure you are, but the writer of Scream 1 and Scream 2 pitched these as yep. a franchise from yep. the get-go, which is Kevin why... Kevin who
1: became a name in horror for years, I mean, he's still doing great things, but he he became a writer for horror films in the 90s. Like, his his name is synonymous with, with great films.
2: And And see, that's... Knowing that now, I just learned that doing research for this... Knowing that now, that's why I, because I remember Scream 2 thinking like, geez, they got Liv Schreiber to like, hey, guess what? We're going to write you a whole role this time if we can use your likeness basically in the first one as the killer. And, and now it's because the whole thing was pitched as a package. Mm -hmm. Like that's why they were able to get Liv Schreiber to even sign on for that because it seemed like such a small part, especially since he was just footage to be like, "Oh wow, they actually got him to show up." I don't know, I just I didn't realize that it was all pitched as one thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, another another thing too though is that he wasn't huge, you know. He was still tr- getting bit bit parts and so scream when it was pitched to him as a, a a movie where, you know, he'll he'll grow in uh each each movie, he took his chance because he had really done next to nothing and so Scream 2 actually is what got him other roles he was in Phantoms which but Affleck was the bomb
0: in Phantoms word bitch Phantoms like a motherfucker what's
2: up now
1: but he was in Phantoms he was in Sphere right after that Uh, and he had a really good part in Sphere I mean I really like that movie and then Scream 3 and now he's blown up but he did he did a lot of nothing to then get bigger roles and bigger roles to then, you know, how many years after scream three, nine, 10 years, he becomes Sabretooth? right? He had a long game to get to where he is now.
2: For sure. Yeah. And I know he wasn't a big actor when he did scream one, I just not really, again, this is a lot of pre internet and not getting as much background information on movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just was like, wow, that's the same guy.
1: Well, did you know that he was supposed to be one of the killers in the original script for Scream 2? Uh,
2: I did not know that.
1: So the the original script for Scream 2 leaked before the movie came out, and Kevin Williamson had to rewrite the ending. Ah, okay. And Cotton Weary was going to be a side killer. They were going to actually have four killers in Scream 2. And I'm very glad that the script leaked because I wouldn't have wanted to see Four killers. I like the two that we got.
2: Well, I wouldn't have wanted to see Cotton Weary as a killer, right? I like I like better that he he didn't do it. He just was mm-hmm. really just an innocent guy had an affair with some woman and then got got caught up, which yeah. is why to bring it back to three, I liked that. Um, yes, we do see that he gets everything he wanted. He gets his fame, and then more than I suppose Jamie Kennedy's appearance um, would probably mm-hmm. be the best part for me. But as far as Meta goes, I love that right away on the phone, he says, yeah, I got to do a cameo in the stab three. Oh, I just got to show up real quick as a cameo at the beginning, which is what he's doing now. And then, of course, years later, when, like you said, his star has risen. So now it really is not beneath him, but it's definitely revisiting early career material. And then... Not only does he say that, which is funny because now it's meta for him being in both, Mm -hmm. but he gives the line from Scream One, which is the no no, and he says to the person when he switches calls over, Yeah, I'll be right back. Yep, yep. And boom, I was like, Oh, so he shows up just to get killed at the beginning of Scream Three. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it was great.
1: It was great. So quickly moving into Scream Four, what were your thoughts on that? Because that's that movie. A lot of people, a lot of people are divisive over Scream Three. Scream Four kind of redeemed the the film for Scream purists, Scream fans, but it didn't do well in the theaters. And so, what are what are your thoughts on Scream Four?
2: Uh, it didn't do much for me, honestly. I mean, if The Force mm-hmm. Awakens was just a New Hope again, this was Scream Four was just Scream One, like tripling or quadding down on the meta which (laughs) i kind of felt like even though i watched them in reverse order and still hadn't seen three before i saw four i felt like they'd already done that like at at, Mm -hmm. by the end of two i felt like you've already gone meta enough and then and then as i already explained about three and jamie popping in to explain about backstory so when i started watching four I was like, all I'm doing is watching Scream One, and then the characters even say he's replicating all the killing from the original Woodsboro murders. There's a party. There's this. If this happens, then this happens. And then I was like, uh, I'm really not buying this, and I'm I'm just I'm not invested, really. Um, I mean, I I still cheer for Sydney, but. I'm like, oh, uh, now she's successful and 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 Dewey and Gale and I don't know. Yeah. I just yeah. I just couldn't get into it, especially because you had the two film nerds and then they have their own set of rules, but now that we live in a modern era and you can have cameras and you live stream, it it wasn't terrible. It really I didn't I didn't hate it. I mm-hmm. just couldn't connect with it.
1: Yeah, I I do think the they went with the reboot a little too, you know, they leaned heavily into the reboot and the rules, I think just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, And that's where I kind of had trouble with it Mm -hmm. is, is the rules. And so it, it all makes sense. And I think it was done well and it was shot well. And I mean, this is Wes Craven's last film. So I think that holds a special place in my heart too, even if it's not the best of the quadrology. But I, I do like that they're they're going with the new you know the new generation of everything's online they have to stream it um, they're sharing it with the world in in that way to make it connect with today's audience because that's what would happen and it makes me excited to see what's going to happen in Scream Five. Um, oh, I'm Nef totally Campbell's excited. Already signed for five. on to come back. Yeah, Nev Campbell's signed on, and I think we. Well, I, I don't know. It it says in the film that they're going back to Woodsboro in the, the press release that they put out there. So we'll see what actually happens. But it's I'm very intrigued to find out if, uh you know, if five lives up to one and two.
2: Four seemed long to me. Um, mm-hmm. Like the whole extended going to the hospital scene just seemed like so much. And then. Mm-hmm when she's like, you know, Oh, you know, we can be twins or whatever. Cause we both have shoulder wounds and Dewey mm-hmm. goes, yeah. And then Gail ha- and like immediately when she said it, I'm like, this right. is Scooby-Doo mystery now. Right. Like, <laughs> Oh my gosh, how blatant. Now I have to watch Dewey leave, go to Gail. And Gail has to mm-hmm. point out, how would she know, unless she's the killer. I'm like, right. Oh, you just made me now mentally mad. I'm going to have to watch three minutes of, of solving this dumb little slip of the tongue. Yeah, I think uh,
1: what's what's good about Scream 4, and maybe not the execution like you're talking, but I think what's good about it is that they take how the first movie ended, which is supposed to, you know, it's supposed to be a retread. Mm -hmm. And one of the rules is it's not over when you think it is. Mm -hmm. So they're in the house and, you know, everything happens in the house. And we think that Sydney's going to die now. Um, and and her her niece Jill is going to get away with it we then go to the hospital you know that's where the first movie ended in the house mm-hmm. now we go to the hospital and we have this extra ending which is part of this mm-hmm. this requel or or reboot rule um so i i do appreciate that but i i agree that it was a little too on the nose parts
2: parts of it parts of it felt low budget to me honestly hmm. uh, i felt like i was watching a lot of cramped little shots. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel like, like scream one and scream two. They felt very big to me. They felt large. Like Mm. I was really in a town and I was really on a college campus and like I was really in the world. And then three felt a little tight to me because we were in the soundstage and we were in the mansion and it's a different feel of course. And, it it just didn't feel real mm-hmm. to, and, and then and then and then four, yeah, I didn't feel like I was back in woodsboro really yeah um it did it did have a different aesthetic to it mm-hmm. and I don't know
1: if that's just supposed to be time passing and things change or if it's you know, location shooting is is different so um but you, i I kind of get what you're saying it's it is still in the town and we see the town we see a bookstore, we see a hospital we see the barn we see the house but it's it's, it's sure different it feels it, different
2: it, it it felt yeah but even then it, it even when they did do outdoors i felt like i was on a back lot yeah i guess yeah. i didn't feel like that in the first
1: no two. i i get that i get that hmm. what did you think about the opening the, the different fake out openings
2: funny yeah. um i, I liked, thought they were comical i like i like that it's you know now we're we're just throwing meta all over the place. Yeah, yeah. you know, like I'd I'd love to hear uh, Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty's take on this. <laughs> Jeez, Morty, you got so much meta around here, I'm slipping in it. You know, yeah, yeah. but uh, but yeah, that that was a neat beginning because then it's now a reboot is a real world remake of a movie that was already. Camping Mm -hmm. real world horror movies But this is all real for everybody In every so it's almost like Inception It's a layer of a layer of a layer of a layer And then so It was a great way to set it all up And then Mm -hmm. And then uh, And then I just didn't connect really You know I think maybe that's part of it Like I didn't uh, I didn't really like Sydney's cousin Mm -hmm. Um, I the, The two film guys were just They neither one of them popped as their own character as much as they just
1: as much as Randy. Yeah, they were, they were Randy surrogates. The two of them together. Yeah. Well, one was Randy, one was Stu, but
2: right. And then,
1: were, yeah,
2: I, I like David Arquette though. I, I thought, I thought he was really good. I mean, I always like watching him as Dewey. He's, he's fun. Um, right. And, and Gail, that was, she. you know, Courtney Cox, that was good. So, but again, I don't know. Does that, you know, make me like, Again citing Star Wars Am I just Mm -hmm. like like Luke Han and Leia But not caring for Ray, Finn and Poe But (laughs) you know But at least Ray, Finn and Poe They at least sort of pop for you I just didn't feel that from From this subcast You know what I mean Like I still felt like the original characters Were their original characters But the new characters were Bland copies So I didn't care who killed who Ultimately
1: Yeah, I, I hear that. I hear that. I kind of feel the same way. I I like Sydney. I like Gale. I like Dewey. I like how Anthony Anderson gets it in the squad car, um, and his name in the film is he's Officer Perkins. Uh, so his name in the movie is Anthony Perkins, Perkins, which is an homage to Psycho. Sure. Which is something that you know Billy Loomis uses the line from Psycho. We all go a little mad sometimes in in the original Scream. Mm-hmm. So I like all the callbacks. I like all the fun horror. Um, ties that they build, but it's just it, you're right, it's not the same as the first movie, and I don't know that we'll ever capture something like Scream One.
2: You can't, so and yeah. and and that's why even Scream Two, because it was sold as a franchise as a package, I almost see Scream Two as Scream One Part Two,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and yeah, and, and they're they all so good together, they, they are so good together, and then and then three, yeah, you got to round out your trilogy, but. I don't know. Just didn't quite do it. So just to sum up my overall thoughts on the scream quadrology here, just a few little points that that didn't get mentioned, but are uh, kind of standouts for me. Scream one. I love when Henry Winkler opens the door looking for the noise. And there's the old man dressed up like Freddy Krueger as the janitor. And he just looks up and goes, huh? And Henry Winkler goes, Oh, not, not you, Fred. That, was hysterical to me because again, mm. it's another layer of meta. And yeah. uh, you've got Freddy Krueger played by Wes Craven, the creator of The Nightmare on Elm Street. So it's even more meta that the actor playing the guy who looks like the monster from the other movie <laughs> is the guy who made him. So um, I love that. Uh, Scream 2, we talked about that scene on the quad where Jamie Kennedy gets killed. And I'll tell you, Phil, this is my number one scariest thing about horror movies for me is when people are getting murdered in the daylight mm. because that means yeah. the monster has broken free of the confines of night and anything can happen at any time because traditionally you feel safe during the day that's when you take a break from the killing and the murdering and everything's all right it's daytime nothing happens during the daytime, and. Jamie gets it in broad daylight. And it's like, ooh, not only is nobody safe, nobody's safe, no time. <laughs> you you right. don't get your rest. Like like, of course, vampires, right? You get a break from vampires for 12 hours or so. But um and again, speaking of West Craven, uh, the part that scared me the most, pretty much of any horror movie I've ever seen, is from Nightmare on Elm Street Two: Freddy's Revenge. When he Mm -hmm. shows up at that pool party, because (laughs) now it's not even the dream world. He's in real life. Freddy is standing here. He's (laughs) right there. He's not in my brain. He's not in Nancy's brain. He's right there at the grill. He's right there (laughs) by the pool. Yep, that scene terrified me. And I, I mean, it happened at night, but it. It terrified me that he could be there.
1: Be in the real world. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I love the beginning of Scream 2 when they're at mm-hmm. the premiere of Stab. Yeah. You know. Because not only are they handing out ghost face killer costumes, apparently they're also handing out cocaine because I have <laughs> never seen a more coked up movie audience in my life those people are insane like what is it's crazy are they putting pcp on the popcorn
1: it's like they're they're doing it be it's like there's an extra level because all those people either know or know sydney goes to their school so they're like really excited for stab but the way that they're acting, I mean, I would have left that theater. I would have gone to see Sandra Bullock or whatever whatever I, they're talking I about. Know. Because there's no way I want to watch a movie when the theater acts like that.
2: No, I never would have stayed. I would have been gone. I would have been like, what is wrong with you?
1: I, I love <laughs> that Stab shows Heather Graham in the role that Drew Barrymore played. We have to give a shout out to Drew Barrymore's performance. Yep, yep. Um, because if, I don't know if you knew this, but Heather Heather Graham was originally sought for that role that Drew Barrymore played. Oh. So it's another meta piece of the film that Drew Barrymore got the part. She originally wanted Sydney, but then she didn't she couldn't take that big of a role because of other things that were going on. So she took that cameo in the beginning of the movie and then who another person that was going for that plays that character in the second movie showing the first I mean it's just so meta. Everything's great. Sure. I I love it. I love it.
2: And speaking of that, I like Jada Pinkett. Mm -hmm. This is when she says, why she got to be naked? Why she got to do that? And then they call that back in Scream 3 when Jenny McCarthy is talking to Roman or she thinks it's Roman and says, Mm -hmm. why do I got to be naked? Why do I got to be coming out of the shower naked? Right. And I love, again, the meta-ness between even the movies themselves while it's still making fun of the trope of the naked woman in the shower getting killed and then that's a nod to psycho and all the other stuff so yeah anyway it's good it's great I, I think these these movies do a great job one other thing to bring up about screen three specifically and i thought this was really cool and i don't know how to frame it really in my head because i think it's neat but i'm also like a little like mystified as to what this means there's a scene uh at the studio um and it's a it's a backlot tour and a whole bunch of tourists are going by, and Jay and Silent Bob are in the line. You remember this, this scene?
1: Yeah. Yep, I sure do.
2: But it's not Kevin Smith and and, uh, and Jason Mewes. Jason Muse It's it's literally Jay and Silent Bob. I think Jay yep. even says like, "Hey, Silent Bob," and and I'm like, "Well, if if that means that if Jay and Silent Bob are Jay and Silent Bob, that means that." The Scream movies take place in the Kevin Smith universe.
1: Yep, the View universe, as they call it.
2: That's kind of <laughs> neat to know that yeah. you know, it, mm-hmm. it's it's sort of like they just introduced the Watchmen actually takes place in the DC universe. So now with the Scream movies, I'm like, wait a minute. So so Dewey could be reading Blunt Man and Chronic comics. <laughs> And 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 yep. Brody could be you know Brody or uh, or the convenience store guys from Clerks could be sitting around going man did you hear about those Woodsboro murders you know
1: <laughs> I'm sure they are I'm sure Randall he's the Randy in the yeah. the sense of talking about the rules and how everybody died I'm sure but do you want to know something really odd about it is that it's it's a very it's very weird because in the first Scream movie in Stu's basement. There was the VHS cassette tape of Clerks.
2: Really? So that's
1: kind of weird, yeah. And in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Kevin Smith um, had Wes Craven make an appearance as the director of a fictitious version of Scream 4. Really? But then 10 years later, he would come back and actually make Scream 4.
2: Wow. It's like a weird universe going on here. That's all kinds of crazy levels of... It's also... Yeah, well, I, I think that's neat when, when universes kind of cross over and, and here's one, has nothing to do with Scream but in in 1999 Phantom Menace there's a contingency of ETs in the big Senate scene mm-hmm. and then in E.T. Yep. E. they go trick-or-treating and somebody goes walking by dressed as Yoda and E.T. is like, ooh, ooh, ooh and goes a little... Is it because he's like, hey, I know him from Holovids? That's that's that that's <laughs> Jedi. And and he's like, he can get me home, but then the kids are like, no, 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 no. He get away, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I just it's funny how that crosses over like that. But yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I did not yeah. I did not realize I was gonna get a Jay and Silent Bob kind of meta experience there.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's so so weird. I, I love though that. Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes were in Scream 3 and then they made Wes Craven do a cameo filming Scream 4 when they were doing all of those horrible movie mm-hmm. scenes when they were running through the, the studio. So it's just funny because they, at that time, tongue in cheek, they were like, this is never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And they made, you know, Scream 4, one of those movies, uh, Good Will Hunting 2, hunting season yes. was in that.
0: Oh, uh, that's so right. So yeah. They,
1: they kept running through different movies that were tongue-in-cheek bad, and it's funny that we actually made. They actually made Scream Four.
2: <laughs> wow!
1: I'm just still waiting for Good Will Hunting Two Hunting Season. Yeah. <laughs> As another callback to their cameo in Scream Three, Kevin Smith included a copy of Scream Three in a scene during Jersey Girl.
2: Wow. See, yeah. that's
1: st- all different layers of meta
2: it, it is because then that means that scream is a movie in the kevin smith universe but it it actually happened in the kevin smith universe so wow that's just mind-blowing mm-hmm. yep one final thing on uh on the Scream movies it's not really a fun thing um it's just something i noticed and and i think it just kind of stands out even even more so today a very 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 white cast in all the screen movies like yeah. like almost glaringly noticeable now that there are no black people i mean very few very few and right and you and you could and it's really any person of color well exactly yeah and and you could have easily made anybody any race you wanted to make them there was no real reason to go that way and I'm not saying that there was anything nefarious behind it I'm just I'm just saying (laughs) just something I (laughs) noticed and I really especially noticed it with scream four because it was for sure oh my gosh and and scream four it really really sang at me and 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 I and I watched these in reverse order. And Scream 4, obviously, is the newer, more modern Scream movie. And you would have thought mm-hmm. that when that was made, there would have been a little bit more diversity included.
1: No, I mean, still, though, that that was nine years ago. And so even it being nine years ago, it's, it's still glaringly whitewashed. Anthony Anderson is the only cast member. And they even make a joke about him being black.
2: Right. Which seems really weird in in the yep. fact that you know, they're they're sort of camping the horror genre and and yet there's no reason that you couldn't have included more diversity in it. Right. Um
1: Yep. I mean Scream Scream Two had Jada Pinkett Smith on the cover of the poster. And she dies in the first 10 minutes, which is kind of a callback. Her and Omar Epstein the first 10 minutes. And it's a callback to the original Scream poster that had uh, Drew Barrymore on the main poster as the only cast member on the poster. And she died in the first couple minutes. So they got the big star of Jada Pinkett Smith and killed her off. And then uh, Sydney's roommate is the only other person of color in the rest of the cast. Right. And then Scream 3... Um who was it in Scream 3?
2: Um the guy who plays the guy in the stab movies.
1: That's right. And he was on the poster also. Yes. So they put him front and center but he had maybe 10 lines in the whole movie.
2: Yeah, very very little to do with that. Um and again, I I know I know like diversity is a big issue now and and I'm I'm behind it and and sometimes I think diversity just to be diverse can be distracting, but I think in scream's case through today's lens it's almost distracting to not have any diversity like where where is woodsboro that there are no <laughs> people of color you know yeah. there, there mm-hmm. and it, even i mean sydney was at a college i mean a full blown university like sure if you want to say that woodsboro high is in some real small Farming community somewhere. Okay, whatever, fine. But I mean, gee, she was at a full blown university, and there were still nobody in the film classes, nobody in the in the the sororities or the fraternities. I mean, except for yeah. Sydney's Sydney's friend. But it really it really struck me too in Scream Three when uh, Hayden Pinnateri and her two friends drive up. Or scream four. Or I'm sorry, scream four. Yeah. When they roll up in their uh in their SUV or whatever it was to go to school, and I'm like, geez, am I watching Mean Girls 2? This is <laughs> 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 this is I gotta put sunglasses on. This is very bright. There's a glare <laughs> coming off of my TV when I watch Scream. But mm-hmm. anyway, just something I noticed. Yeah. No, just well, something you I know, noticed. it's
1: we'll see we'll see what happens in Scream Five. Because that's going to come out in 2022. And hopefully we'll have more casting announcements in the coming months. And we'll see some diversity come to Woodsboro. I digress. Did anything that happened throughout the Scream movies, I know <laughs> it's funny that you've watched three and four recently, but did they ruin your childhood?
2: No, you know, they it, did. It, it really didn't. And it was, like I said, I watched them all in reverse order thinking that I had seen three and just couldn't remember it, but no, I'd only seen bits and pieces, but, uh, scream four didn't do anything for the originals for me because then, um, three, two, one, just, uh, they're, they are solid. They're, they're solid films. They, they do something that we hadn't seen before. And then even though technically we're seeing it a couple times, just extensions of itself, which in itself is meta, um, Anyway, no, it did not ruin my childhood.
1: Yeah, me, me neither. I, I really, really love Scream 1 and Scream 2. Um, Scream 3 is kind of a take it or leave it for me. I still enjoy it, but I'm not going to throw it on all the time. Um, and Scream 4, I've only watched three or four times at this point, and it's been out for 10 years or almost 10 years. But I, in rewatching it for this podcast, I I do find that there are things that I really enjoy about it, and there's also some things that just fall flat. And I think you kind of put into words what I was thinking about how it feels small and feels lower budget because it just, it doesn't have the scope of one and two. And um, I think you finally put it into words for what I was feeling about it. But I do like the Hayden Panettiere character, Kirby. I do like um, that Sydney's back. I love Alison Bree from Community and I just love that she has this bit role in in the film at uh, playing a new version of Gale Weathers like i i appreciate what they tried to do in rebooting the franchise so to speak and in the reboot there are characters that call back to old characters from the original movie and i i do think that that's a fun way to do it so they didn't ruin my childhood but i like them all the more knowing that there's more coming and like any horror movie even the bad ones i'll watch them just for fun so I can't wait to see what Scream 5 brings and hopefully Scream 6 and hopefully Scream 7 and we just keep going. Um, so that's I that, that's my feeling and I'm sticking to it. So Eric, where can people find you?
2: People can find me on the third bar stool down at the local pub. I will be there <laughs> from 5 to 7 and then again from 10 to 1 a.m. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram at Eric underscore Walensky.
1: Very nice. I'll see you at the bar. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Phil Demo, F I L D I M O. Also, follow this podcast, Ruin My Childhood, at Podcast Ruined. And we hope that this look back at the Scream Quadrology didn't ruin your childhood.
0: Could it be I've misunderstood? This podcast ruined my childhood. Oh, Jesus Christ, you don't know the rules? have an aneurysm, why don't you? There are certain rules that one must abide by in order to successfully survive a horror movie. For instance, number 1. You can never have sex. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> Big no, no. Big no. man. Sex equals death, okay? Number 2. You can never drink or do drugs. No. The sin factor. It's a sin. It's an extension of number 1. And number 3. Never, ever, ever under any circumstances say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be back. I'm getting another beer. You want one? Yeah, sure. I'll be right back. You see, you push the laws and you end up dead. Okay, I'll see you in the kitchen with a knife. Okay, let's get down to business. The way I see it, someone's out to make a sequel. You know, cash in on all the movie murder hoopla. So it's our job to observe the rules of the sequel. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. More blood, more gore. Carnage candy. Your core audience just expects it. And number three, if you want your sequel to become a franchise, never, ever... How do we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. If this killer does come back and he's for real, there are a few things that you got to remember. Is this simply another sequel? Well, if it is, same rules apply. But here's the critical thing. If you find yourself dealing with an unexpected backstory and a preponderance of exposition, then the sequel rules do not apply because you are not dealing with a sequel you are dealing with the concluding chapter of a trilogy. Trilogy. That's right. It's a rarity in the horror field, but it does exist. And it is a force to be reckoned with, because true trilogies are all about going back to the beginning and discovering something that wasn't true from the get go. Godfather, Jedi, all revealed something that we thought was true that wasn't true. So if it is a trilogy you are dealing with, here are some super trilogy rules. One, you got a killer who's going to be superhuman. Stabbing him won't work, shooting him won't work. Basically, in the third one, you got to cryogenically freeze his head, decapitate him, or blow him up. Number two, anyone, including the main character, can die. This means you, Sid. I'm sorry. It's the final chapter. It could be fucking reservoir dogs by the time this thing is through. Number three, the past will come back to bite you in the ass. Whatever you think you know about the past, forget it. The past is not at rest. Any sins you think were committed in the past are about to break out and destroy you. So in closing, let me say, good luck, Godspeed, and for some of you, I'll see you soon.
2: Like, they are freaking (laughs) nuts! I was laughing so hard watching that, because I remember like, oh yeah, it's the big premiere. But then I'm like, they're jumping in the lobby going, ha 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 ha! I'm like, this is like reefer madness!